following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. In the last few weeks, we have been dealing with some very specific roles and heart attitudes for members of the church family from 1 Timothy. Um, this week and next week, we are going to even get more specific in dealing with those who are in leadership within the church family. So we're going to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 7, and that's page 992 in the Pew Bible. Um, and I want to stress before we even get started is uh, that the Bible is not given to us as a collection of moral fables or um, heartwarming stories um, or even encouragement in character development, but the Lord has designed His church and has given a plan for how we as His children are to uh, live and be and how His church, which was His invention, how should operate. So we're going to look very uh, look at this passage that deals with um, the area of uh, elders uh, very specifically. So um, I think that it's important that we do as we're instructed in God's word. Um, anyway, we'll let the word speak for itself. First Timothy chapter three, verse one through seven. The saying is trustworthy: If anyone aspires to the office of overseer. He desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil." Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the instruction that you have for us in it. Um, we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would interpret this word to us this morning, that we would um, discover the principles that work, uh, and that our lives and our church family may be aligned uh, to your instruction. Lord, we love you, and we want to live in such a way that is pleasing to you, and we know that that way is described here in your word. So we pray you would use this time for your glory and our good, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Mm. Well, um, Ray Stedman once said, the church is the most important body in the world. God has set it in the middle of life. And I could not agree more. And I don't just agree with that because it's my job to agree. 
Or if I don't agree with it, my job would be in jeopardy. I think that the church really is the most important body in the world. And it stands to reason, if God himself invented the church, then he alone gets to decide how it's organized and how it operates and how we are to live. Amen? Amen. Well, be careful when with your amens. That was a trick. <laughs> I'm sure that there are many here today that have had uh, different experiences with different churches, with different structures and different approaches to ministry than we have here at Crossroads uh, in our family. Um, and to be clear, uh, I am not holding our church family up as perfect or getting it all right. Um, we are all just muddling through the best we can. Um, however, there are many groups that claim to be biblically based, yet follow a leadership structure and a pattern of living that is not found in Scripture at all. Um, I myself uh, grew up in a church where the governing document of the church was Robert's Rules of Order uh, and not a Scripture. Bible is important, but when it comes to making decisions, um, we have to make sure we have a motion and a second and a quorum and a all that sort of stuff, secret ballots. Um, that's uh, not right, uh, just to be clear. Um, now it's not my intention to criticize or put down other churches or how they do things because uh, they, although they are our brothers and sisters, it's not really our business. Um, we are responsible for ourselves here in our church family. So what I want to do is examine what the scriptures really say and make sure that we're following the, the instructions uh, given by the Lord as close as we can. Make sense? Okay. I feel like I, I might have had an extra cup of coffee, so I might. I don't want to go through this too fast. But uh, in Scripture, as we read in First Timothy, the responsibility for leadership and over, oversight of the church family was given to the executive board, and that's what we're going to look at. This. See, that's what I mean. I feel like I'm going too fast. It's, no it, there was no amen, so thank you. All right. All right. That's either you're paying attention or not. I, I can't really tell from up here. <laughs> the responsibility of leadership and oversight in the church family in the Scripture is given to the elders, uh, overseers, as we've seen uh, in the Scripture. And there are several different words that are used for this role. Uh, here in our text is overseers. You also see the word elders. Pastors, rulers, presbyters, um, they all mean the same thing. They are interchangeable terms. Um, they are all facets of the same gem, uh, whether it's oversight or shepherding or leading or managing or ruling. It's all one office, what we refer to here in our church family as elder. Elders are the Lord's provision for leadership and watch care in his church. Um, Hebrews 13.10 calls Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep. And in our text this morning here, we see uh, the role and qualifications of, of those who are called to be his under-shepherds. Um, so I hope that this uh, might bring to light to some of you uh, some understanding of why we have eldership and why we do things the way that we do uh, here in our church family. Uh, probably answer questions that you've never asked. So, 
we pray for your grace. <laughs> John Calvin wrote, It is no light matter to be a representative of the Son of God in discharging an office of such magnitude, the object of which is to erect and extend the kingdom of God, to procure the salvation of souls which the Lord himself hath purchased with his own blood, and to govern the church which is God's inheritance. The role of elder is, a ro- is an important one. And it is a weighty role. So we look at our text here and see what we find. In verse 1, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. The work of elders is a noble work, looking after the needs of the local church family, both spiritual and sometimes physical, is excellent and praiseworthy work, but it's also not for everyone. And I think that's what Paul makes clear here. Um, and I say these things with the measure of guilt, which is probably not from the Lord, because I am an elder, and I'm not going to stand up here and tell you about how hard my job is, uh, or how, how difficult our task as elders are so so that... You'll make us more pies and be nicer to us. Um, I know you're already pretty nice, but I'm still lacking in the pie department. Just saying. <laughs> pie. Like the fruit pies. Yeah. Pie, pie is, pie is better than cake. Just, just to be clear. <laughs> okay. Um, so not that we usually go to Plato for sound theology or doctrine. But uh, he did once say, those things that are excellent are also arduous. Um, there is difficulty in the task given to uh, the elders. Um, and the task that is given to the elders of a local congregation was, th- uh, was and still is, through the ministry of the word uh, and prayer, to discern and discover the will of God for a particular church family. They are the human means of divine direction for the local church family. Now, that's a noble work, and it's a difficult task. Um, That doesn't mean that all ministry within a church family is designated only for the elders, and so, therefore, everyone else is off the hook. Um, That's not the truth of it. If you belong to Jesus, you are in ministry You are called to ministry. Every member of the church family is a minister. Um, But the specific role of oversight of the church family is is given to these men. And that's a ministry of overseeing, not overlooking. That was... Yeah, we'll leave it. All right. And it is clear from both the original language and the English translation that this role of elder is reserved to men. The role of elder in Scripture is not open to women. Uh, And the Lord, through Paul, gives us a very specific set of character requirements of those men who would take on this noble task of shepherding the flock. And it's important to remember, uh, and I'm sorry, uh, Craig and Mr. Aaron, um, just to remind you that the elders don't have special powers. Uh, we don't walk on water and glow in the dark or anything like that. The elders are ordinary brothers 
who have been given an extraordinary task and as such must be held to a higher standard for character quality. So I want to look at those just like uh, bullet points here as far as those character qualities are concerned. Verse 2 says, Therefore an overseer must be above reproach. Now, to be above reproach does not mean that the elder is without sin. You have to find somebody who never sinned before, and then they, you can give them that job. Well, Jesus is the only one, and he's already the great shepherd. Uh, he's already our shepherd. So we need to look at men who are of good reputation and are not the kind of men that are subject to lots of accusations of bad behavior and low moral quality. They are men to be of high regard both within the church and in the community at large. That's what it means to be above reproach, beyond accusation. They must also be the husband of one wife. Now, this is among the most debated um, phrases as far as church leadership is concerned. What does it mean to be a husband of one wife? Um, this... Uh, I take the idiot's eye view of most things in Scripture, all right? Keep it simple, and that's usually the answer. Um, so this phrase certainly means that polygamy is uh, having more than one wife at a time is forbidden uh, for elders, which that's easy. Um, but does it also mean that men who have been married and have been divorced and then remarried, are they forbidden to be elders? Well, uh, this is the debate. I believe that this phrase, a husband of one wife, is more accurately translated. And if you have the ESV, there's even a little note there that says this phrase really is a one-woman man. An elder must be a one-woman man. And the scholars are divided on this issue. And the way that it's worded in English makes it even less than clear. And although it's preferable and quite honestly simpler to have elders that have only been married once, I don't believe that this phrase prohibits men that have been divorced and remarried from serving as elders, although each case must be handled individually and delicately with much prayer for discernment. So the long and the short of it is a divorced man is not prohibited to serve as an elder, in my view. And we can disagree with that on that, and that's fine. Because it's less than clear, like I said. But this is the pattern that we follow here. In general, I believe that it's safe to say that the affections of the man who aspires to the office of elder should be focused on his wife and not easily swayed um, by any other. Um, I think we can agree on that. You having fun? Yeah. Yeah. All right, the next phrase is sober-minded. Elder must be sober-minded. Now, this is not sober as opposed to drunk. Uh, that is addressed in verse 3. But this means that the elder must be restrained in his attitude and conduct, a serious-minded, um, understanding the seriousness of life and the ministry to which he is called. This does not mean you can't joke around and have fun. or would, Well, everybody in here would be pretty well disqualified. So um, that's not... <laughs> It's just understanding the seriousness of, of life and ministry um, is part of the role. Also, self-controlled, next on the list. To be sensible and moderate in one's behavior. 
Um, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, right? Uh, so we are all called to that. Uh, but the elders have to exercise it in a more focused manner. Um, it's in, it's, self-control is especially important when serving as a shepherd, not only as a shepherd, but as an example to the flock and to and as a witness to the watching world. Um, this is among the highest uh, qualities of an elder and among the most difficult to exercise um, because we all kind of want to say what we think about certain situations and that's not always beneficial. <laughs> so self-control is very important. <laughs> I thought it was funny. <laughs> exercise self-control. I won't say what I'm thinking. Aha. All right, next on the list, respectable. This means to be modest in the sense of uh, being moderate and well-ordered. Their life must be in order, generally speaking. Um, be respectable is one to act as one who's worthy of respect. Uh, I, I don't even... One, I wonder why I have to... I don't have to dis, d- define that, right? I mean, okay, sorry. I want to talk just because it's my job to talk about blah, 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 blah. Let's close in prayer. Um, we'll keep moving. Hospitable. Uh, hospitable is having an open home. Uh, n- not just uh, open to the church, but open to strangers. Um, n- to have a home that is a retreat to the exiles. Our homes are great gifts and can be wonderful uh, ministry centers, if we allow them to be. Uh, and I think this is, again, this is something that we can all aspire to. And this is not, you have to be, your house has to be magazine quality in, in your decor. That's not exercising hospitality just to have a clean house. You can exercise hospitality and not have a clean house. Um, okay? That's not, a, that's not a qualifier here. You don't have to have a big house and nice dishes either. This is just a matter of using your home as a center for gospel ministry um, and not to be a hermit. Um, there are plenty of people um, that need a place to be safe, even for a short time. Um, and that's, a, that's a, a, a matter for elders to consider. Also, they are to be able to teach. Another uh, another challenged um, phrase here. Paul challenged Timothy in his second letter uh, to rightly handle the word of truth, to rightly divide the word of truth, and that uh, and that is the charge here: to be able to expound the scripture, to correct and to refute false teaching, uh, to apply the word of God correctly and judiciously. This is not necessarily pulpit ministry, but this. Uh, this is a conversation, a class, a car ride, uh, being able to um, represent God's word uh, well is important um, and mandatory in the work of an elder. You can't write, you can't uh, exercise proper oversight of God's church if you don't understand what God's word says about the church and about following the Lord. So that's important. And on to verse three. Uh, not a drunkard. <laughs> the best des- the best description I found of this uh, in in the m- 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 in 
this week, um, is uh, uh, not a habitual intemperance in guzzling wine. That was my that was my favorite uh, way that someone put this. I thought that was appropriate. Not a wine guzzler. <laughs> now, uh, just to be clear, this is not a prohibition of the use of alcohol in, uh, but the use of alcohol in excess. And I would I would uh, expand that to any substance that alters uh, your reality and ability to uh, govern yourself. Um, the Holy Spirit should be our coping our coping mechanism, not wine and spirits. The Holy Spirit. That was almost funny. Um, a lot of those. Sorry. Um, Jesus was called a wine bibber, right? Um, so this, uh, just to be clear, um, no, in New, New Testament, that was not grape juice. That was really wine. Uh, no, it wasn't watered down to keep people from getting drunk. It was really wine. Okay, I just want to be clear about that. Um, but habitual intemperance in guzzling wine, uh, that is disqualifying uh, for elders. Uh, and again, we should all take that to heart. Also, not violent but gentle. Uh, some translations say not a striker, uh, one who lashes out in violence. An elder should not be the type of person who resorts to violence to resolve conflicts uh, because there are many conflicts in ministry. Uh, and we take a lot of emotional black eyes, but we should not be giving physical ones. Um, we cannot afford to be angry and contentious and aggressive and warlike, uh, but gentle and gracious and patient. Um, understanding what the work involves. Um, violence is not to solve anything, not even in baseball. <clears throat> Next on the list, not quarrelsome. And this is, again, an extension of gentleness, preferring peace over strife, not creating conflict where conflict does not exist, going looking for trouble, looking for a fight. We don't... Uh, there's enough... There's enough difficulty as it is without making more, um, looking for fights. Also, not a lover of money. There are many times when decisions must be made that have to do with uh, money and a church. And if the leaders of a local church family prefer money to ministry, then there won't be much ministry much longer. Um, the proper use of money both privately and when it comes to the church family um, is evidence of the condition of the hearts of those making the decisions. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this is very true when it comes to elders. Um, we'll talk a little bit um, later about um, muzzling oxes while they tread out the grain later on when it comes to actual financial support. Of, uh, of preaching elders. Um, so we go on to verse 4. It says, He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Now, this is a good one. And a difficult measuring stick for those of us with young children who aren't always submissive. Um, but that's just uh, part of parenting. I want to be clear that this speaks of young children. The word here is for 
kids, not adult children, not adult offspring. When a person becomes an adult, they're responsible for themselves. Um, when, when, when my children uh, move out of my house, uh, they're responsible for themselves, right? And as parents, we move from the role of king or queen to the role of sage, and we give advice, but we can't make them do anything anymore. Um, well, we can kind of sway them, I guess, but um, they are responsible for themselves. So I just want to be clear, this is not saying um, if you have an, if a man has an adult child who is out of control and not submissive, that's not what this is talking about. Uh, it's the young children. Um, this is, the idea of how uh, children within a household act reflects on a man's character because um, kids are a clear testimony of what a father is really like. Um, it's not his reputation or his wallet or his car or his house. It's his kids and how they act and how they respond. Um, so, Keniston boys, straighten up. Uh, <laughs> and don't talk back. <laughs> now, this does not mean uh, that the elders' kids are perfect. They're little sinners just like the rest of us. Um, but it will be pretty clear, pretty quick, if they don't respect their father. Um our foremost responsibility is to lead our families well. They are our first church. They are our little flock. My responsibility is to my wife and my children before it is to you. And it's the same with all of our elders. That their responsibility is for their own household first. Um, I'll wear a t-shirt to ball games that says, Jesus and family and ballparks and baseball. And that's the order of an elder's life and responsibilities. Um, so don't forget, many pastors and many elders act as if the church comes before their families. Many wives suffer because the church becomes their husband's mistress, um, figuratively speaking, and unfortunately sometimes literally. And many kids grow up resenting the church because the church got all of daddy's attention. Can't ever come to my game or a concert or activity because you got a church thing or you got a meeting or you got a this or got a that. Uh, you will, you can look at our church calendar and look in the evenings of how many Bible studies I lead during the week. There are zero Bible studies that I lead. And that's because I have four kids and my responsibility is to them before it is to you. And I'm sorry if you don't like that. That's your problem, not mine. That didn't, I didn't mean that to be so pointy. <laughs> but anyway, it's, <laughs> it's very important that our families come first. Because when, what kind of testimony is it to raise children that resent the church? This is supposed to be our family. It's a disgrace when this happens. It's a shame. It should never happen. Mm, our families come first. Number six, uh, verse six, I mean. He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. 
Now we're getting serious. I read several commentaries on this verse that said this had to do mainly with the zeal and ambition of new believers. They're just raring to go and they don't know what they're doing. Um, but I can tell you that after 15 years of full-time ministry or vocational ministry, I have to say that this is about pressure on the ego. This has nothing to do with the zeal of a new believer that's out to change the world. Um, there are far too many opportunities for pride to get puffed up without the wisdom and humility that comes from experience. Um, it was an overflated self, um, overinflated sense of self-importance that got the devil condemned. Um, and the opportunities for that same fall seem to come daily for those who direct the affairs of the Lord's church. Mm-hmm. Pride is the sin that is pregnant with all of the others. And this is why new believers are not called to this role. They may be eventually, but not while they are still new. If verse 7, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. It's not enough for an elder to be well thought of within his church, um, but it must be well thought of in the community as well. Um, what do his neighbors think of him? What do his co-workers say about him? Um, there is such a temptation to hypocrisy. can act one way here where it's safe. We can act all churchy, Right? But what does Monday morning look like? What does Saturday night look like? This, uh, um, it's too easy to appear to be one person while you're with the church and a completely different person when you're not. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but not everybody is dumb. People will figure it out. And that's when leaders get disgraced. And that's when the church uh, comes under great scrutiny from the world. It's when we don't prove that we are who we say we are. We say we're someone and we and we prove with our actions that we're someone else. Far too often we hear stories of pastors and church leaders failing and falling and giving in to temptation and sin. It's heartbreaking. So I just ask that you'd pray for your elders. Pray for me. Pray for all the elders of and pastors of local church families. There is so much at stake. There is far too much at stake for us to ignore what God says. We need wisdom and we need the Lord's divine protection. So if you've heard nothing else that I've said this morning, please hear this. Please pray. Pray for our elders. Pray for me. Pray for the other pastors and elders in local congregations. There's far too much at stake. Now, this may very well have just seemed like a long list of um, character requirements or like a, a resume, but um, and maybe it seems like all of these things really didn't have anything to do with you. Um But in truth, the elders, as under-shepherds for the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, are to be examples to the flock and uh, that the Lord entrusted them with. These are the 
character qualities that we all should aspire to. Uh, what in here is is out of bounds? Um, shouldn't we all be people of high moral quality and character? I think so. There are almost everything on this list is for each and every one of us. Sure, there are certain things that, that don't apply to each of us, but these, you know, there's a general rule. This list is for all of us. Through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been given not just the forgiveness of sin and not just eternal life, but we have also been given a wonderful church family to belong to. We have been adopted as God's own dear children into his forever family. And we have been given the gift of wonderful elders that are looking out for us and caring for us for God's glory and our good. We receive so much more when we come to faith. Uh, being adopted into God's family is a wonderful blessing. We're not called to do this alone. Uh, and we're not all called to do the same thing. Um, but for now, um, I would remind you again, beg you, please continue pray for the elders. Continue pray for me. Um, Amen. I think I said enough. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that um, your church is not just an incidental organization made up by men, with rules made up by men, but you have a purpose and a design for your church. And I thank you, Lord, for the flexibility and willingness of your people here to um, adhere uh, as best we can to that design. Um, because your idea and your plan is already blessed, it's already glorified, and we just need to join you in it. And so, Lord, I thank you for the freedom that we have enjoyed uh, over the life of this um, local church family um, to be able to do that, to organize uh, ourselves in such a way that as best we can matches your word. We don't... uh, pass it off as archaic or out of date or old-fashioned, but eternal. Um, So, Lord, again, we selfishly ask for your blessing, um, knowing that you have already blessed your church, um, and we're so grateful for that. We thank you for making us a church through the blood of your Son and through faith in the Lord Jesus that our sins are forgiven and that we are connected one to each other, one to another, I mean... We're so grateful for that. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.